if it takes me longer than five minutes to edit a photo, I think I probably do too much. And so I would stop, press reset on Lightroom and start again because if it takes me longer than two or three minutes to edit an image, I'll start again, really. I like to have the image. This photography podcast is brought to you by Frames, the upcoming printed photography magazine. Here is your today's host, W. Scott Olsen, with another fascinating conversation. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another podcast from Frames Magazine. My name is Scott Olson, and today I have the pleasure of talking with Mark McNeil. Mark is a member of the Frames community, very well known for astrophotography, but his interests and his talents go well beyond that. He's a landscape photographer, he is a teacher, and all around he produces the kind of work that I find personally inspiring and neat. How's that for a technical term? Mark, how are you doing today? Yes, I'm doing good. Surviving the lockdown over in the UK? Yes, just about. Um, yes, it's um, where we live in Lancashire. It's not too bad, to be fair. It, it could be a lot worse, and I think it's a lot worse for some people. So we've got to count our blessings, really. Absolutely. More about the, the virus and, and the implication of photographers when we get to the end. For those of you that are listening, I do want to recommend that you take a look at Mark's website. It is markmcneilphotography.com. That's the one, yeah. Mark, let's start at the beginning. I mean, you are now producing award-winning National Geographic-level landscape images. Tell me how this all started. Well, I think it basically started um, when I first started to pick the camera up was probably um, 10 or 15 years ago, just kind of going to the zoo and just general photography, you know. And then as my daughter grew, I tried to document her life, and we went on different little I don't know, little trips really, went to the seaside, went to do seascapes, went to the Lake District, which isn't too far away from me. And when we went to the Lake District together, as she grew up, you know, just my love photography blossomed really, to be fair. And I think that's where it kind of started. But just from the love of capturing things that we see or trying to um, replicate what we see, you know, on back of a camera, really, that's where it kind of started, to be honest. Do you remember your first camera? What would that have been? Um, my first camera, I think, was a Nikon 31000, I think. Um, mm-hmm. Before that, I'm not too sure what it was. Before that, might have been just a simple um, Cybershot point-and-shoot. It wasn't anything too technical, really, just for going on holiday snaps when we went on family holidays. So it wasn't – I didn't have – I'll be honest, I've not done film photography, so that's something I've never done, really. I'd love to be able to try and have a go at it, but it's something that I've not – jumped on at the moment i love digital photography really tell me what appeals to you from landscape work i mean why not why not be a you know a crime photographer or a sports photographer or something like that what what is it about landscape that appeals to you i think if you go to a beautiful landscape or you go to the lake district whether it be or somewhere in america or wherever you are i like to go out when the weather's not the best which at the moment most people would probably think what's he doing that for or why is he going out when it's not blue skies and beautiful purple sunsets but i say i like to go out when the weather is actually turning for the worst and i think the drama in the skies and the mood and the clouds for my photography it make the drama and the mood and the weather and the rain and the snow or the wind or rainbows or 
they just it makes for easier photography i think i think it's a lot easier to capture an outstanding image in really bad conditions you might not think that but i think it if you're going to put some effort in and go and climb up a mountain i think you're better off going when it's not glorious sunshine but so you can cap- capture some of that drama that we see if you didn't have a camera so if you had just had your bag and you're going for a nice walk um, you see some beautiful views if you walk in the mountains or you walked anywhere on the on the coast and it was blue skies and there wasn't any clouds um, you wouldn't even think about getting your camera out whereas if you walk where there's a bit more atmosphere a bit more mood you can hear a rumble in the distance i think it they come across the images come across better in on social media or when somebody looks and we say wow look at that that's got the the wow factor i think and that's what kind of draws me to going to these landscapes really i think a lot of people do think of landscapes as being very sort of static or, or monotone emotionally, but nothing could be farther from the truth. Landscapes are uh, very dramatic. You have a couple pictures on your website of very large breaking waves. Tell me about one of those or both. The um, the seascape images. I like the seascape because we only live, think about five or six miles away from the coast where I live. And at the moment I use ND filters and I like to try and capture the movement of the water. I don't like to do um, too longer exposures. So when I do photography now, it's normally anywhere between half a second and six seconds. I try and keep it that short to shutter speed just to try and keep some of that movement in the water because most of the images you've got, I can see that the, the, the waves are rolling and you can see people can see that rolling. There's a, there's a trend at the moment where people put 10 stop filters on or 16 stops and they do one minute two minute and it just flattens the water and i think they are good and they look beautiful but i think sometimes it's nice to keep some of the nature in the image i think keep some of that movement and really the what i was saying about the water and the the landscapes you go to if you had just a blue skies or you had calm water i think you know these waves in the water are kind of like the moody skies if you will they're kind of giving that gives the viewer what you can see the waves if it's just flat and very calm i don't think you'd they'd be very interesting photos to be honest i think that's what i kind of try and do try and keep some of that movement some of that drama that you would see in the sky try and keep that in the water so the water is telling its little story that somebody would know automatically that that water is moving about it's quite choppy and i hope it, they kind of portray that you, you're not against, however, the more serene or, or the more quiet image. You've got a beautiful image of a sailboat just sort of riding at anchor. Uh, I know you also did a YouTube video about taking that shot. Walk me through that shot a little bit, just from deciding you're going to take it to actually having it. This one um, is a little tiny sailboat, and yes. there's drama above it and the clouds. And I am a photographer, I'd like to say, um, but I'm not, I can openly admit, I'm not the best at Photoshop or I'm not the best. I just normally edit my photos in Lightroom and when I take an image, I like it to be a photo that I have took, not that I've spent a long time trying to process. So when I go out, I love I love these images that have got so two minutes exposures and you can't see the horizon and um, it looks like a very ethereal and you can't very cloudy type of photos well i went out in the rain that shot was taken in the rain um to try and do that effect but do it actually in camera if you will so uh, my thought process i go when the low tide so the water's really calm 
And on that image as well, you can see that it's got kind of moodiness in the sky. And I just try and capture some drama in the camera rather than trying to add it too much on the post-processing side of it. Um, so my thought process would be, that's what my thought process is. I try and, because my Photoshop skills or my blending images skills isn't as good as what it should be, um, and I love images that look like that, I try and do it in the back of the camera. So I try and make them as real as possible, if that makes uh, sense. And I think you've done that successfully. You know, there, there is a debate, and I don't think it'll ever be solved, about people who think any type of post-processing really ought to be suspect. And people who spend hours and hours and hours, you know, recreating uh, their images, we can almost stop calling that photography, you know, call it a different kind of art. Um, yeah. Are you, If you were better at Photoshop, would you use it more? No, because um, simply because I want to take, I want to be able to post a photo on a group and say, here's, I've, here's a photo I've taken. And it might not necessarily be the best and it might not be the most polished image, but I can say that I've taken that image. I've, it's not something, it's not a photo, it's not an image that I've made. It normally, most images that I take, I would say, and this is honest, if it takes me longer than five minutes to edit a photo, I think I'd probably do too much. And so I would stop, press reset on Lightroom and start again. Because if it takes me longer than two or three minutes to edit an image, I'll start again, really. I like to have the image near enough right in camera. So my editing would be simply removing dust spots or removing the odd bollard or removing a twig or a branch. That would be the limit of my kind of editing skills, really, to be honest. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I prefer. There's nothing wrong with digital art. There's nothing wrong with people taking three images or four images or stacking this. And But just be honest, But when you post it into the group that you actually tell people what you've done or you've um, honest photography just make sure that you happen to mention that you know if there's you've stuck about six seagulls on or a couple of geese flying past let the world know <laughs> you, let, let the world know that you've put them on there or you know because um if you're trying to sell a print and someone looks at and thinks what an amazing shot when someone might be purchasing that thinking this photographer's caught all this wonderful rainbows and unicorns and you know, the person who's buying it might not realise that it's not a real photo or dig digitally enhanced. So, but that's each to their own, really, I suppose. Your portfolio includes an awful lot of black and white and colour. Um, do you make that choice before you shoot? No, no, I don't, to be fair. I do like colour images, but I think with when you go to, um, so if you have a storm or you have something or you have rough seas, I think they do look nice in black and white. But then, again, it depends on some of the images where we live in, on the foul coast where we live. The water is very brown and very dirty looking just because the sand's kicked up. So they don't look very pleasing in colour. Some do, depending on the sunlight or the time of day, but it, they look better in black and white. The astrophotography images that I've done in black and white, simply that I've not seen many images of the night sky in black and white. So that's why I did it. I try and be different, to be honest. That, that's a wonderful um, opportunity or a segue into talking about an image I really do want to know the backstory for. Um, and that's your um, man standing under a tree astrophotography shot. That one got you a good bit of attention. So walk us through that one from start to finish. So the idea with this shot was it was at Christmas. It was really cold. It had been snowing. 
um, in 2017. There was meant to be some northern lights at this time. It was really dark, and I set the tripod up about 100 metres away from that, put it on intervalometer, and just kind of ran up to the tree. There was just me and my friend was there. Um, it wasn't very busy, so I was lighting the tree up. I've got a colour version. I, was, I had a torch underneath me kind of lighting the tree up that didn't quite work or I have a color version that looks quite nice and I just thought it looked different in um, black and white and the editing process was that was in Lightroom simply um, changing it over from um, color to Adobe black and white really and I thought wow as soon as it made it look black and white it looked, it looked a total different photo and the night after I took it I edited it put it on um, Twitter and I tagged a guy, well, a professor, Brian Cox, who's quite famous in England, and he retweeted it, and it just went mad after that. And then, so in the April, I asked, I entered it to um, the Astro Photographer of the Year competition in People in Space. It got, um, yeah, highly commended. So it kind of went all over the place, really. It went in all the magazines. It went in um, aeroplane magazines. It was on the local news. It was kind of with all the other winners as well and all the other people who took part. And it's in a book as well. So I've got a book. It was in the, um, the Greenwich museum, the near the Royal observatory in London. They had an exhibition there for six months and that traveled to Liverpool. And no, it was, it was really nice. And, uh, it was a good thing really, to be honest. It was a, it's a very proud moment to be honest. For those of you listening that don't know this image, it's sort of a bowl-shaped landscape with a single tree sitting in in the bottom of the bowl, and then Mark standing underneath the tree. Um, it, it is really a, a powerful shot. Let me tell you where it is. So the place is called Hadrian's Wall. It's a wall in between um, England and Scotland, and that is an old sycamore tree. And basically, at the side of it on this picture, it's not there anymore. There's a t you can just about see to the right-hand side of me, there is like a little small sapling that they cut down now. They want to grow a new one. But this is a tree, if you, anybody wants to go and Google Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves with Kevin Costner, um, that is a tree that's, um, if you look at it, that's a tree there, the sycamore. It's called the Sycamore Gap because it's in a little bit of a valley and the gap is where the sycamore tree is. But if you go into Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, Kevin Costner and uh, was there, and uh, that's where they used the. That was where the scene was filmed. So it's quite a famous tree, but um, no, it's a, in a place called Northumberland in UK. Very, a, a dark space, sorry, dark sky location. Well, it, it is an extraordinary shot. Take me through a, a favorite of yours. If, if, if you had to hang a, one of your pictures on your wall this afternoon, that's not up there now. What would it be? I've got a picture of a stag. So it's just a simple picture of a stag, but this is, um, it's a place called Glenetive in Scotland near Glencoe. And we'd been, I'd been out with my little girl and she was, um, she's about seven at the time. So we went, we had to go and move some furniture. So we had to drive up from England to Scotland and we stopped overnight. We did a little camp out. We had like a mini adventure and I said, come on, we'll go down to this lock. And this is where a James Bond film was filmed and it was called Skyfall. Skyfall and the road leads to this cottage that I've got to Skyfall and there's a particular spot where Q and James Bond stand and you uh, have the Aston Martin parked up and they both get out of the car and they look down this valley and that's where we stood me and my little girl got the tripod out took a shot and we did a selfie where we were both looking down 
this beautiful country lane that there wasn't any people there whatsoever and you don't see anybody and after we'd done that shot we jumped in the car and we drove down this road for about two miles and just at the side of the road was this beautiful stag and it was looking straight at us and we parked the car up and we just sat there for 10 minutes and it went onto this little peak of a hill so it kind of it it was like it was posing basically it kind of stood up and it was it had a beautiful backdrop behind it and it just kind of looked and stared i think it was after food i'm not too sure but i'd scarred the car it didn't panic it didn't it was probably 20 or 30 foot away and it was stood there for it must have been 20 minutes it didn't run it was only me and my little daughter she'd never seen a, a stag before with his big horns and it was just a memorable memorable time really so it was it's the story behind the picture rather than the my best picture I've took. So that was a memorable picture, really. It, it's absolutely enlightening, I think, um, to hear the backstory of some photographs, because uh, as you said, sometimes the story behind it uh, is as extraordinary as the image itself. That's a wonderful, uh, wonderful story. And I know that spot. I've been uh, hiking on the West Highland Way many times. Um, and so yeah. I, I, I envy you the stag showing up. They haven't done that for me. <laughs> We stopped at a place called the King's House Guest House, if everybody ever goes there. And it's on the main drag, uh, the main road. And you go over a little white bridge and you'll turn left. Then you'll go 100 metres down the road. And this is where the, the, the world famous or the famous waterfall shot is of the Buckeye Letif Moor. Um, that's where the waterfall shot is. That's where everybody goes there, basically, and takes this beautiful waterfall shot that leads up to this, this like a pointy-shaped mountain. And all that road down there, it's just uh, it's just wonderful, really. You know, if you could ever go for a trip anywhere, that's one of the places I would advise people to go, really. It's wonderful and magical. I, I agree completely. Um, how much of your work is serendipitous and, and how much of it is planned in advance? I mean, are, are you always ready to take a photograph? Probably, yes. I'm, um, I've got twins now as well. I've got twin girls who are four and with the lockdown and things like that, what I've learned to do over the last six months while we've been on lockdown is just not plan too much, but plan a little bit more. So before I would go out in the car, say five or six years ago, I'd get in the car, drive to a location, walk around and have a full day out. Now I would probably spend a good half an hour on Google Earth looking at places and be a bit more planned about going to a certain spot and then walk around that rather than just spend the whole day. And then sometimes I go out with the camera and just, just go for a walk basically. Just don't no tripod, just go out with the camera and just, just have some fun really. Another shot. And again, it's, this is on the um, photography workshops page of your website. You do have the sycamore tree, but then you also have a seascape with what is, it looks like an old pier of some sort way out uh, on the horizon line. Um, Oh yes. Yeah. Tell me, I mean, that one you had to have done a little bit of work on. Tell me that's that story. Um, So this one, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm laughing now because I, um, I did, um, this shot is in a place called Lytham St. Anne's and it is about five or six miles away from my house. And again, I've got this shot. I've got the the old pier. This was shot with the 7200, uh, about 70 mil. And the water, the high tide or the tide times, the tides have to be over seven or eight metres to go around this pier. So nine times out of ten, so every night, 
most weeks. So you would say out of six months, twice out of six months, the, the tide would be over six or seven metres to cover that up. So normally, if you look at that image, you would say that you wouldn't get any water until the top third. So you wouldn't be able to do this shot. But one day in the spring, I think it wasn't too far away, um, the tide said it was to be 10 metres, which is four metres higher than it really needed to be. But on that day, it was pouring down, absolutely hammering down. So I basically went into the garage, got a golfing umbrella, got an old fishing suit on, so waders, like a, you know, an all-in-one, if you will, not too sure what they're called, but like a, a bib and brace, if you will. So I got jacket on, got my got my umbrella on, and I went out, and that was a 30-second um, exposure with a 0.9 ND filter. So a six-stop filter and a 0.9 ND filter, and realistically, there was no editors editing on that, apart from the dust spots. Um, there's no, there's no big fancy me sitting behind a computer. That was it, really. To be fair, so the conditions made the shot. So what people would do is they could manipulate that shot to make it look like that, or you could go out in the horrible conditions and get that shot in one shot. So that's basically what it was. It was a thirty, say, thirty seconds exposure, f eleven ISO. I think it was sixty four, and um, no, there was no, there's no really decent editing just I had to think I think the only thing I did on that was I actually got the white balance to be a little bit cooler as you can see it looks slightly blue um that's really that's that's the only editing process I could show you the um the raw file to be fair um, <laughs> no but I thought because I, that's um just to show you what it was kind of like so it's not um the water is a dirty gray you see with the sand so it's kind of or a dirty brown and the sky was a moody blue and that's kind of just i've just reduced the saturation if anything no editing at all in photoshop um and this is what i'm trying to say to people that, that i did a vlog uh, not long ago just a, a simple boost for people that says that in england i'm not too sure whereabouts in the world you live but in england where we live so most part of the time of the year it's raining maybe one or two three or four times a week it's clear and if we all looked out the window every day and thought, I won't go out with a camera today because it's raining or it's a bit wet or it's cloudy or it's windy, the likelihood is we would probably only go out once or twice or two every two weeks. So sometimes we just need to go out in the rain and wrap up and go out and enjoy it, really. And that's one of those shots that kind of paid off for me being in the elements, if you will, rather than no, me. I, I agree with you completely. And, and I love the phrase, the conditions make the shot. We, we tend to work against conditions when uh, the weather is bad. And I like the, the idea of fully embracing it and saying, okay, I'm going to go take an honest photograph of these conditions. Tell me what you're working on these days. What's, how is the virus affecting your photography? What's next for you? Um, well, at the moment, I, I, do, I have been doing weddings. So I do, um, the odd wedding. I do one wedding a month or I have been doing them those have all been cancelled um, so I've had 10 or 11 weddings cancelled till 2021 22 some people have cancelled full stop which means I've had to refund them all the money so that's kind of been a nightmare the, the workshops that I do normally I would only do one or two people anyway so I don't like doing groups of five or six people because I feel that I'd rather go and speak to someone who wants to kind of learn 
one-to-one or two people with a friend. So people who actually want to listen to what you're saying. If sometimes I've, I've been on workshops myself where people just want the location. They don't want the, they don't want to listen to the person talking. They simply want to be taken to a nice spot. So for the workshops, I think the restrictions have just been lifted so I can do workshops again. And I go to teach people nothing really technical, to be fair. Unless they've never used a camera before, then yes, I'll teach them how to focus and teach them the ISL settings and f-stops. But normally I try and teach people how to see things rather than how I learned, basically, how you teach yourself to see things and teach yourself how to put things in different spots and how actually we can all have the best gear, we can all have the best filters and we can all have the best equipment but if you can't see a picture it's uh it doesn't make any difference really the composition is everything uh when when it was finally all said and done can you teach you know, an eye for composition i think you can give people advice or you can pe- you can people can watch what you would do in a certain situation so if you go to these places that are always perfect or you go to these places that are really flat you know, you've got to learn how to make the best of a bad situation, I think. And that's how you learn. I think if you go out in the sunny conditions or you go out when the sunsets are really good all the time, I think if you went out on a bad day, you might struggle or you might find it difficult. I think if you if you learn to cope with every condition, I think you'll find you, your photography will get better, I think. I think it's, um, that's what I found. Anyway, I found that if I went out when the weather was bad, the images looked really moody and you can portray that a lot easier, I think. And what we try and do is we try and go out on a normal day when it's sunny or when it's a few clouds, and we try to make those dramatic photos where you've got out on a normal wet day, and that's your if that's the starter really. It's just trying to keep your lens and the front of your lens clear, and trying to get rid of all the water, and that's the hardest part. The elements there, we just got to try and capture it. Well, you have certainly captured it. I, I am. I have become a great fan of your work. Thank you, sir. I, you, you have made my day with this podcast. Yeah. And I think anybody who wants to progress in photography, um, whether you're a professional, whether you're just starting out, you've still got to have that um, got to get up and go. You can't um, take your foot off the gas, as you say in America, probably. I'm not too sure if that's what it is. But, but you've got to keep going out every, you know, once or twice a week and – if you, I still enjoy it. I love going out. I, um, I went out last night. I tried to get a moonrise shot last night. It didn't happen because of all the clouds, but I was there. I can't say, you know, you will never get a good sunset sat in your front room, and that's one of my top tips. <laughs> you will never get an epic rainbow when you're sat in your front room or you're sat having a cup of coffee. So if the weather's not very good tonight, get the camera, get the bag loaded up, and just go out and take a shot because you never know. That, that is very wise advice. Yeah. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. If you enjoyed today's podcast, I can imagine you would like to hear more about what we are currently working on. Later this year, we will be launching a quarterly printed photography magazine. It will be a beautifully designed, inspiring publication I personally truly believe that excellent photography belongs on paper, hence the idea of frames. To find out more about frames and to join more than 14,000 photography enthusiasts who enjoy our weekly newsletter, go ahead and visit frames.photography. 
I would love to have you in our community. Thanks so much.